0: Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to
1: cookbook authors. My name is Danny Mena, and my cookbook is Made in Mexico, The Cookbook.
0: Anthony Bourdain wrote... And as much as we think we know and love it, we have barely scratched the surface of what Mexican food really is. It is not melted cheese over tortilla chips. Now, when you opened Eche and Dumbo on Bowery and 4th Street, you didn't offer lettuce, cream, or cheese on the tacos. Talk to me about your particular view on authentic Mexican cuisine.
1: You know, uh, born and raised in Mexico, um, there is a, a sensibility about what is and what is not Mexican food. Um, and so when I moved to New York, you know, there were a few places that were doing things uh, pretty, pretty spot on. But by far and large, there was really, um, you know, the idea kind of the Taco Bell taco was still uh, king. And so when we opened Echo and Dumbo, the, the, my whole impetus was to try to really showcase a side of Mexico that I think people in New York or in other parts of the United States had really not seen. Um, and so we kind of started off and we were very, uh, you know, opposite of, of most restaurants where whatever the question was, the answer was probably no. You um, It was like, we didn't do any silverware because <laughs> we were serving tacos and they're intended to be with your hands, no lettuce, no cream, no cheese. And so it was at first, it was a bit of a struggle or just a bit of a fight. You know, people started accepting and started to understand and started to appreciate that the, the dish is better- without those sort of other ingredients. And so uh, and so that was kind of like the, the beginning of, of A veteran and
0: What was uh, your take on Mexican beer at the restaurant?
1: So it's kind of that same sort of idea. I mean, there is a lot of uh, Mexican beers out there and there's more and more craft at the time, 10 or 11 years ago. There weren't really any craft beers um, in the U.S. or Mexican craft beers in the U.S. But what we wanted to do also was to showcase something different. So we never had like tequila, we never had Patron beer, we never had Corona. Um, and that doesn't necessarily anything wrong with either one. But we wanted to educate people on the other things so you know we pushed always like a, one of my favorite beers was bohemia and so all of our micheladas and everything we served it with the bohemia and it was something of trying to to once again that same sort of ethos with the food with the drinks of saying you're or you're probably ordering it because that's what you think you should be ordering but let me let me show you something else that might be much nicer and, and educate you a little bit more on what are what other people consume or what you know what else exists in mexico um And that was that same sort of idea.
0: You've said no self-respecting Mexican would ever buy store-bought salsa.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm not too harsh with that one. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, in Mexico, like only if you are, you're going to go camping and you, of course, you have to have salsa. And that is uh, an important part of uh, of every meal and every dish, really. But um, if you have any ability to make a salsa, whether it's just a, a knife and a you know, some ingredients, like you would always make it yourself or, you know, have it. You never, once you, once you get store bought and you, all the additives and everything for preservatives and whatever you have to do to give it a shelf life, it just, it's no longer anywhere close to uh, to a decent salsa.
0: It's so. kind of like hummus. You buy that stuff at the store and then you make it at home and they're two completely different things.
1: A hundred percent. And w- once you do it, then it's like, it's really hard to kind of go back to that.
0: Yeah. So you wrote in the introduction, besides arguments among friends about where to find the best tacos al pastor, food is a lens through which Mexicans discuss class, politics, agricultural, economic, and social issues. In 2019, almost 2020, what are Mexicans discussing over food?
1: You know, right now, um, we have, uh, I mean, definitely, I think politics is is really the, the number one conversation in Mexico. And it really comes a lot from, uh, we have a new president in Mexico that has a very high approval rating, a much more kind of socialist sort of view, but also is, is, is not getting the, uh, because of the kind of the views are not getting much investment. Mexico's about to go into a recession. And so it's a very polarizing president. Um, so there is a lot of conversation right now going on about, uh, where you stand and what line, what side of the, uh, presidency do you fall on? Um, and there's a lot of like the pre has been kind of dethroned and really was, uh, was annihilated, and a new party called Morena has kind of taken over. So there's a lot of, uh, lot of conversation around sort of that, um, which is really interesting.
0: Your parents separated when you were 16. Now, how was that a pivotal point in how you started to look at food?
1: You know, it was, it was my mother was a very loving and, and wonderful mother and, and cook. Um, and because she had the ability to, to cook a lot of things, in a sense, I was kind of cuddled. Um, and so I was allowed to be picky. I was allowed to uh and and not as a not as a negative to my mother because she did amazing. but once she left, my father, who was not a cook at all um, had we had very little choice um, in kind of what to be what to eat and I started cooking and this was like my first foray into the kitchen and I had some like recipe books and I started cooking a little bit um, and of course, as a sixteen year old I was following every recipe as best as I could um, and the food never came out to that uh that good on the first round. And of course, if you copy a recipe, there's very few books, um, that is cooking for one or cooking for two. And so, uh, I had all this leftover food as well that on the, if day one did not taste so great by day three, I never wanted to eat again. So I decided <laughs> to start, uh, going out with, uh, one of my friends. And so, you know, I go to a friend's house and then I go to another friend's house and every day of the week. And then, and luckily I had a, a good, uh, a good amount of friends that were willing to take me in. And so, for the next two years, five days a week, I would eat out at a friend's house, at a different friend's house. And I would always go around and, you know, whatever their home cooking they were making. And, and I, I was forced at that point that I'd go to someone's house and all of a sudden they're like, here's, you know, I didn't like mushrooms. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, we have these mushrooms with like, you know, a steak sauce. And I was like, treat the mushrooms. And I was like, wow, this is really good. <laughs> you know, what I mean? And then I was like, oh, this type of posole or this type of dish. And it was just like one after the other. And then I really started at that point as we kind of was like a, a come to Jesus of how great Mexican food was and how, how great just ingredients are, you know. And it still was, was the beginning kind of into my love for, for food. But I didn't really, I still, up until I was about probably 30, I still enjoyed cooking more than I enjoyed eating. And it wasn't until now, these past 10 years, that I think I love cooking, but eating is really, uh, it's really where it's at.
0: So then you went to Virginia Tech and you threw huge dinner parties. Tell me about those.
1: So yeah, we had a, we had a nice little apartment and and a good group of friends that like to eat and drink. And, uh, and so we I don't know exactly how the first one came about, but one of my friends, I think my first one that I kind of did, it was a friend of mine at like, he cooked a chicken Parmesan and it was like in his mom's special recipe and everything. And that was like my first dish that I was like, cooking full on. And then, of course, I started cooking Mexican food. And one of the dishes that's so easy to do, but so much fun and so different is called a sope. Um, it's basically like a masa round that's, that's a little thicker than a tortilla, but smaller. Um, and it gets fried. And then usually you put, you put beans and then it can be chicken, it can be chorizo, it can be any kind of steak, lettuce, cream, and then, of course, some nice salsa. So we used to start doing these kind of dinner parties. And so we'd drive people over. Um, and at that time, my uh, cooking timing was always off. So people would start coming over around six or seven, um, and then dinner would probably start around 10. And so everyone was very hungry and, and by then slightly inebriated. Um, so food was always very well received, which only gives you confidence. It's kind of when I started to really appreciate what, what, what Mexican food really is all about, is kind of people coming together and the food is almost secondary to everything else that's going around in the, in the dinner party.
0: Did that confidence prompt you to apply to the French Culinary Institute?
1: At the time, I was studying industrial engineering. And so I decided to change uh, career paths right then and there and go to hospitality and tourism because that's the closest thing they had. And then, and then at that point, um, you know, my father passed away so then I had to deal with a lot of like the estate at home and everything and so I kind of really didn't even think much about culinary school um, I got a job in North Carolina working as an engineer and then after working there for like six eight months I was a short-term contract I was like where do I move to and I had some friends in New York and I was like I'm gonna move to New York and then I started doing dinner parties again in, in New York and that's when I read uh, Kitchen Confidential which is funny you brought up Anthony Bourdain and really was kind of the, the, the point of like you know what if I'm gonna do this I should do this now I, I quit my job because uh, I was working at a Uh, a manufacturing company here in the city and I went to the and I applied and went into the FCI.
0: So then you got an internship at Blue Hill. Did you realize how special that restaurant was at the time?
1: No, I read it and unfortunately it was not the one in Stone Barns. It was the one here in the city but even then it's still like I didn't realize I mean it was it was an amazing experience to understand because when I was there it was uh, Chef Cuevas and he was the one day in and day out every morning every night like you know he was the one who who really was doing it but you know what Dan Barber does and like understanding the roles and he came only once. And I remember when we were there, they got reviewed or re-reviewed by the New York Times and they barely mentioned the chef de cuisine. And they really mentioned all about Dan Barber. And and I was kind of disappointed, but really, as I understand everything that Dan does and like, you know, and I've had now the pleasure of going up to Stone Barnes and like, I mean, just a true like savant um, and somebody with, I mean, and the the ingredients they were doing. And I mean, I had the best chicken of my life. And of course, what they were doing in that little kitchen was such an amazing sort of uh, education that really was kind of a wonderful way. And, And now in hindsight, I I, I appreciate it that much more.
0: Your first official culinary job was at the Modern, at the Museum of Modern Art. There is nothing I love more than eating at the Modern.
1: It, it was amazing. You know, I was I was looking at restaurants and, and, you know, someone just asked me, like, why would you go to like a French restaurant if you're like, you know, we're, I was looking for like the best restaurant that I could in the city and where I thought I could learn the most. And so the Modern, you know, of course, Danny Meyer just has a way of making great restaurants and hiring the right people. Um, and I met the chef and he was great and the sous chef was amazing and uh and the guys and you know a couple of people in the kitchen seemed fun and like i got the job off and i was super excited and little by little i started off at like you know the salad station then i kind of moved to the fry station then i moved to the grill you know ended up in saute and just had a wonderful opportunity to learn the entire line and the food that they're doing was so good i mean learn learn the, the the appreciate a really good pickle which is uh goes a long way i think <laughs>
0: So this whole time in your career, you were solely focused on American cuisine. Was there something in your head saying, go back to Mexican cuisine, the food of your home?
1: Yeah. I mean, at the same time, as much as I learned about all of that and, and learning about all these kind of cuisines that I knew kind of little about, and of course, you know, the French Color Institute, um, now, which is now the ACC, but very French focus on the dishes and the sauces and all that. And so, it was a new world that was really exciting to me, and I really loved it. But whenever I cooked at home, and you know, one of the things that I always kind of say, like 99.9% of Mexicans would tell you the best food in the world is Mexican. And it's just every cabinet, everybody, you go into any Mexican's house, you open a cabinet, and there's going to be either some Valentina or Cholula or some sort of hot sauce. So like there's, there's a certain addictive quality to Mexican food. That at the end of the day, that's what I started out cooking more and more at home because I was doing less and less, you know, away from, the, away from home. Um, related to mexican food that the, the reason why I, we quit the modern was to try to open a, uh, a taco truck so before taco trucks were were cool and like uh, you know and were really nice that was our idea it was going to be called taco truck and we're going to get this really cool and get it super tactile and painted i was going to get the spit and actually make like tacos al pastor properly and it was the first set of idea that kind of really spawned everything on trying to make the mexican food that that, that i know and love and like the real the real deal, something started calling me to kind of go home.
0: Born and raised in Mexico City, you wanted this cookbook to be a cookbook plus a travel guide. Talk a bit about that and the map in the back of the book.
1: One of the things that I really wanted to talk about was kind of like the authenticity of our of our food um, at the restaurant and what we're doing at Echundambo, what we were doing there, and what we're doing at La Loncheria. And we wanted to, to kind of to capture that where sometimes, you know, I talked to a chef and I was like, You know what you never see in a Mexican menu in the United States? It's like broccoli but broccoli exists throughout the markets. People eat broccoli, probably maybe not as much, but somewhat close to it as much as the United States. Like it is an ingredient that exists, but because it, we don't find it to be, you know, Mexican, therefore we don't really see it and people are kind of scared. So it's like, so what I wanted to do with this cookbook is also to show kind of what we rooted in authenticity and kind of in tradition with the recipes. And so the best way to kind of go about it was to talk about how you know, restaurants in Mexico that are all, of course, if you're in Mexico and you have a restaurant, it's automatically kind of Mexican, you know? You don't have to prove it's, unless you're doing you know, an Italian restaurant or anything. And every then, they always put like, you know salsas on the table so that's kind of what we wanted to do is you know there's so much great food coming out of mexico every time i go down we always go out to a new restaurant that's opening up and, and so i really kind of wanted to to kind of showcase the, the quality and the and the vast you know array of food that exists in mexico city you know and some of the some of the recipes were you know let's say like carnitas which is a simple in general pretty simple recipe you know we try to stay true to that as uh you know the way that it gets cooked um, and then certain things were like cochinita pibil or barbacoa that's you know typically cooked in a pit underground You know, I don't have a pit here in New York, um, and I can't do it on my restaurant. So, of course, we had to find a way to do it in an oven.
0: Mexican food is interesting because you can have most of the dishes for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I can't think of any other cuisine that's like that.
1: Tacos for breakfast are are very commonplace. Um, I mean, you can have tacos, you know, three meals a day for for three weeks and never, uh, no one would think anything of it. That's just the normal way of going around. Tamales. Easy, always, it's a big breakfast dish, but also tamales are big for dinner. And really, I think eggs is the only thing that is kind of only for breakfast. And then other than that, you can have anything else you want to at any time.
0: On Saturday night, I made your recipe for costras, costras, how do you pronounce it?
1: Costras, yeah. Uh With
0: quick pickled onions on page 45. First off, why is this recipe called costras? Because it looks like a darn taco. And how did this dish come about?
1: So this is a really fascinating one. So a costra means a scab. And so um, what it is, is you have your tortilla, and then on top of that, you have a piece of cheese. But What you do is you caramelize the cheese on one side. So if you look at the other side of it, it looks like a scap. There was this place in, in like a kind of a nicer neighborhood in the northern part of the city. Well, it was called Bosques. These guys who had a, like a little stand outside and their first people that they started making this type of taco. And then probably it was an accident. Somebody go overcooked the cheese and realized how tasty it was. They were able to have enough money to move from this outside little stand inside this mall where really this kind of like high end nightclub was. And people would come from all over to get the costas. And so people leaving the nightclub or people just coming to eat the costas would go down. And for like 10 years, it was a huge phenomenon. Um, it was really kind of them. Um, then the club kind of closed down. And then they had to actually move out of the mall. And they're back on the street right now. But now you see costas in almost every like taqueria in Mexico City. Um, they really, I, I, I'm almost 100% sure it spawned from this one place. So it's, it's typically on a flour tortilla. Um, it's a caramelized cheese. And then you can put kind of any topping on it. So, so it is a taco. Is just uh, a little different of a taco. So why it actually has a a different namesake.
0: It's funny because while I was making it, I was thinking about how long those cheese discs take to make. And I was thinking about them serving all these up to the the massive crowd coming out of the nightclub hungry and drunk. How did they make these quickly? Yeah.
1: So they had uh, shredded cheese. Um, that they were, um, that they would make it. But it was, it, it took some time. I mean, you had, they had like three guys in the back there. You know, they were, they were, they were working hard. They were sweating. But one of the things about, about these costs is they're also kind of big, typically. So, so, so you only needed like one or two. A friend of mine, I think, went to made four, which was almost like, uh, probably in the Ripley's, believe it or not. Uh, uh that's <laughs> a, a bad day. decision. It really, yeah. It was <laughs> like that. Of course, you had a butt to drink. But yeah, maybe like what we say in our, in our book, like, you know, to do the, uh, to do graded, because that's what you need actually. If you do like fresh, cheese and you grate it yourself or anything like that even then it doesn't actually it's not it's too much um liquid content so it actually doesn't caramelize well so if you have the grated then it then it then it it will because it's kind of drier and it will caramelize and crisp up really nicely so in the time that you're doing that you can heat the tortilla and then you can add the uh and usually if you do the meat like tacos al pastor that's cooking kind of separately so you basically have your tortilla you caramelize the cheese on a hot griddle and then you add the, the meat on top and uh and you have yourself a, a quick costra.
0: Yeah, you can see mine on Instagram. It's beautiful.
1: beautiful. Nice. Beautiful. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm excited.
0: Now to my new segment this season called My Favorite Cookbook. Aside from this cookbook, what is your all-time favorite cookbook and why?
1: Um, Eric Repairs. A Return to Cooking, is called. So it's my favorite cookbook. Um, not only is the, just everything so beautiful, but it's, it's all about like seasons. And so he kind of goes around and he's in like Puerto Rico and then he's like in Napa um, and all these kind of different regions in um, like different areas and what's kind of in season. And, and the food is so, you know, it's, it's so much about that, that kind of, that the area, um, you know, I love a lot of Mexican foods and everything that we like about Mexico, but to have a cookbook where we where, where it kind of captures the essence of the, of the place and then also a, a certain time. Um, and I actually, when I bought this cookbook, I didn't even know who Eric repair was. Um, and now of course understanding him much better, like it makes much more sense why everything was just so beautiful. And it was the first cookbook that I really bought. that was kind of high end that I was trying to, to kind of make some of these dishes. And so, uh, so it was a lot of fun. And so we had like a shrimp here with like black pepper and tarragon and brandy. That was just amazing. It was like the first time that I cooked something that was out of my realm of, of kind of, of knowledge of, of ingredients, there was, there was something that I think is, uh, is pretty special. So I don't know, to me, was, this is the one that kind of really, I guess, captured my imagination of how beautiful food can, can look and taste.
0: Where can we find you on the web, social media, and in New York City?
1: So New York City, um, a lot of times I am at the restaurant that we have called La Loncheria, uh, 41 Wilson Avenue, which is in Bushwick. Um, On the web, you can find me on Instagram um, at Danny Echo um, and then um, and also at uh, La Loncheria BK for our restaurants.
0: Thanks so much, Danny, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.